This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by the Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and you want to hear John Cougar Mellencamp on the stereo. If you think there aren't any classic arcades left, you don't know Jack. Or Diane. So when you're in the Chicago area and in the mood to make some high scores come crumbling down, head over to the Underground Retrocade, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. I'm Carrington Vanston. And I'm Mike McGinnis. And this is No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. I said that with my arms stretched out. Back for another week to talk about another, well, not so classic this week, video game. It's got the name Pack in it. It's got to be a classic. All the Pack games are classic. <laughs> well, I think this is, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. But first oh, we'll talk some, about that. How, well, how have you been, Carrington? Oh, I've been amazing. I've been rocking and rolling and... Basically, I just sort of move back and forth. <laughs> there you go again being awesome. I know. What's get, up with that? What's up I'm with gonna being get, awesome? I'm going to get emails, angry emails from our listeners going, why is he awesome all the time? <laughs> they Explain this. Me. And then they'll say, you know what? He kind of is. He kind of is. <laughs> yes. When I saw Carrington for the first time at, at Kansas Fest, I couldn't stand him. And here I am doing a podcast with him. <laughs> still, nothing's changed. <laughs> I still can't stand him, but, you know. <laughs> You're hoping that this will help you get over that. Right. We yeah. did meet at Kansas Fest. That's right. I, I knew of you before that. Well, exactly. Yeah. Yes. That is. Uh, I was, I got to say, I was highly entertained by your how to do a podcast presentation. That was awesome. Oh, that was my first yeah. time. All right. It I was. did it with um with a bunch of stuff and sticky <laughs> stuff. Cool. I, I, yes, uh, for listeners, um, I did a, a presentation on how to podcast, and I did it using no technology at all. <laughs> all I used was colored yarn and Play-Doh to to show what like signal to noise ratios were and how to how to use microphone technique. All done with yarn and sticky things. And yet, you were still able to post it to the internet after you were done. <laughs> well, you know, I'm pretty talented that way. Hey, is there is there a video of that out there anywhere? I can't some... actually be captured on film. Oh, I see. It's kind of cool. Mm. It's the same way I have no reflection. So, Well, so uh, that actually would be kind of cool because we could just see like the shoebox moving around in the air. And... <laughs> it's, it's, ooh, 3D. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. So what about you, Mike? What's new? Um, not much. It's been sort of a frustrating week technology-wise. Oh. Uh, I'm going to be buying a new computer here soon. And, and well, we were just talking about that. Mike was complaining about how his computer is really slow. He and I and are on you can hear the, fans running right the now, exact same computer. <laughs> In fact, I'm on a slightly older version of the same, same model, same RAM, same everything. And mine's working fine. <laughs> and mine is, has just gotten worse and worse and it's worse. It's SSDs. I, the difference is I swapped both my internal hard drives on my MacBook Pro for SSDs. Yeah. And it's, look, an SSD is going to be faster, but it's not... I've got a 7200 RPM hard drive in here. and, and You've got a spinning it, record player, dude. Yeah, yeah. It should still be better than this. I get the beach ball constantly. Anyway, I've been talking to my wife about getting a new computer, and I think my other computers heard me, and so they're taking it out of me while they can before they get retired. You just don't want to hear me tell you that the SSD would solve all your problems because you uh, want a new computer. <laughs> la, 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 I don't blame you. I want a new computer, too. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, shall we talk about... Uh, well, should we talk about feedback? Um, Why, well, I think we should. Okay, then we have been fed back from some fellow podcasters. Let's talk about them first. So Rick, Rick from the Intellivisionaries podcast. Oh, yes. My, like very my, much. Rick, my wife loves your podcast. She grew up on the Intellivision. Am I your wife? Am I your wife, Mike? <laughs> God, I hope not. <laughs> I'm blinking my eyes at you. <laughs> <laughs> um, not that so there's anything wrong with that he sent us email about his MAME setup which he calls and I love this name the Frinkiac 7 <laughs> love it so he says hello fellow podcasters this is Rick Reynolds of the Intellivisionaries podcast firstly thanks so much for doing No Quarter it's one of my never miss podcasts definitely a favorite you know we can really just stop his email there that's all <laughs> that's <laughs> thanks, the best Rick. bit <laughs> moving on <laughs> so anyway he, he goes on to tell us a bit about his um, MAME setup so he says 
Um, I finished my main cab back in 2003, the product of a couple of years of prototyping. It's a from scratch build rather than a conversion of an existing cabinet. One of the driving design decisions for my build was the idea of swappable control panels. I've seen lots of online pictures of main cabs with giant control panels containing four joysticks, two spinners, a trackball, and 20 or so buttons, making the panel something like six feet wide and two feet <laughs> deep. <laughs> Wow, he's right. That's not for me. What I really wanted was to be able to have as close to original controls for as many games as possible. So I went with swappable control panels. Currently, my machine has seven panels that allow decently original arcade feel for four-way joystick games, dual joystick games, trackball games, driving games, and flight yoke games. I even created a couple more specialty panels for a few favorites. A Defender Stargate panel, um, a Cubert Congo Bongo panel, and a Discs of Tron panel, complete with original Discs of Tron pull push-pull spinner. Uh, pics of these cabs can be seen on his website, and we will have that link in the show notes, because really, you got to see it to believe it. It's super cool. Um, anyway, he goes on the... to say... Hmm? What was that, Mike? What was that? Oh. What was that? <laughs> I was going to ask, he's not the one that has that cabinet with the, the the spinning rotating thing that does it automatically is it? nope no this is this is such a better solution because i also my first thought was it's like it's going to be like that spinning one and the problem with the spinning one of course is it it's this giant spinning thing which kind of defeats the purpose no these looks are ugly. regular control panels that just kind of can slot in you just pull and, and he's wired them up so that they basically click together he came up with like a wiring schematic and just wire each panel to match the plug and it's just normal size panels that you just slide into the 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 cabinet and then you've got just a regular small stationary cabinet panel that happens to match the game you want to play it's actually a really good solution he even nice. has this thing where he's got this uh this little side cabinet that stores the panels that are not being used. So they're not just lying around. They're all up vertically. It looks really cool. Wow. Um, yeah. So anyway, it goes on to say, uh, anyway, I tend to laugh just a bit with smug sense of maim snobbery when you guys <laughs> talk about the lack of decent controls for some of the games you've reviewed. I think, nope, can't relate. I've got controls for that just <laughs> fine. Oh, <laughs> um, he says, I do have banned, a couple more. Banned, sir. Banned. <laughs> banned again. Yes. If you write us, you get banned. That's just how it goes. <laughs> He says, I do have a couple more panels in mind that I still need to create. An analog joystick panel with resistive centering for Sinistar. And a dual spinner panel with nice smooth wow. spinners for games like Tempest and Warlords. I have a spinner on the uh, Discs of Tron panel, but it doesn't work as well as a Tempest spinner would for games that need a really fast response. Um, he says, my only bit of chagrin is that I haven't bothered to update MAME since I built it in 03. I'm running MAME 0.82, but like you mentioned in a recent episode, unless there are newly emulated games that you really want, it doesn't pay to chase every upgrade i'm with him on that one yeah. uh i hope to upgrade it someday and to be able to play some of the newer games that require disc images such as mach 3 certainly been long enough keep up the excellent work on the podcast well thank you very much rick that was an excellent letter and like i said we will have a link in the show notes so you can check out what he's done it's super cool it's a really really nice like and what i like is he like he was saying and he says on his post online it wasn't about trying to just make a an arcade cab that looks like some existing old cab he wanted to think a little more out of the box and say what would be the a nice classic looking shell of a cabinet and then easily swappable control panels that just can be removed so you got that one part that kind of slides off or slides in and, and it's a really nice approach i love what he's done yeah it's a great idea and it's 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 one that i've toyed with before but i have no I have no woodworking skills or materials working, if you want to call it Do you have any that. cat burglary skills? Because now we know <laughs> well, where you can get one of these. Well, I was actually about to say, Rick, um, I'm going to need I'm going to need your, your home address and a list of, of nights you're going to be, you know, out on the town. Just post those online. We'll make and, it a contest. Um, sure, sure. And, and, you know, if your house has a security system or anything, I'll, I'll need the access codes of that too, please. Just for no reason. For no reason. No reason at all. Nope. Right. Nope. Uh, speaking of podcasters, one you may have heard of, a fellow named Ken Gagney. I don't know if you're aware of him or not. Uh, or not. perhaps have podcasted with him for three years. Uh, <laughs> but no, I don't think so. He wrote us emails with the subject, Howard Scott Warsaw or Shaw on modern games. And he says, I thought No Quarter might find this passage interesting. And it's a link to something over uh, an article called The Changing Definition of Gamer that was over on uh, GameInformer.com, written by a fellow named Matt Helgeson, I think it would be pronounced. Helgeson, maybe. Um, anyway, the quote is this. 
I fought further back to an interview I conducted with Howard Scott Warshaw years ago. Warshaw was one of the most gifted game designers at Atari in the heyday of the 2600 and is famous for creating class the classic Yar's Revenge. He was also unfortunate enough to have drawn the assignment for creating the infamous E.T. Atari game in a matter of weeks. <laughs> We've talked about that before in an early show. We so have. it says, when speaking with Warshaw about the game industry and how it's progressed over the years, I asked him what he thought of the current crop of more graphically intensive and sophisticated games. To my surprise, he bristled at the suggestion that they represented progress at all. In his estimation, any game that wasted time on fluff like storytelling and fancy graphics was gimmickry. Grim mm. Yeah, gimmickry. Distractions like narrative had no place in a medium that Warshaw <laughs> felt should be devoted to pure gameplay. In his mind, the single screen, simple arcade games of the late 70s and early 80s most purely represented that ideal. Cutscenes. Dialogue, complicated progression systems, and convoluted control schemes just serve to dilute the pure gaming experience. Mike, do you agree? Do you disagree? What do you think? Well, I agree with his statement that um, that all of those things that he was describing as negatives do, in fact, take away from what he describes as the ultimate gaming experience. I disagree with everything else. I disagree that... Um, that games should have story. I disagree that graphics can be a better graphics can enhance the experience. I, mm -hmm. at, I think at the core of, of any gaming experience, yes, that's true, but I don't think there's, um, there's anything wrong with um, improving that, especially with story and plot and things like that. For me, that's what keeps me coming, coming back to more modern games. Obviously the, the simple repetitive um, gameplay of the of the arcades is, is a lot of fun, but I also enjoy a good Infocom game, which is completely devoid of graphics, but it's nothing but story and text. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think he's I think he's out of his mind. I I agree with you and one hundred percent disagree with him. <laughs> and I might have loved <laughs> some of the stuff he did, and I think Yara's Revenge is one of the all time great Atari games. Totally awesome. Totally like one of the pinnacles of that system. He'd lost me at this idea that narrative is inherently a bad thing. Yeah. Most of my favorite games have had some sort of narrative element. I love... Now, here on this show, we talk about arcade games, which for the most part are Twitch things. We're talking about games sure. that rarely have a lot of narrative to them. But that doesn't mean that games with narrative are bad. All the computer games that I've mostly loved have had narrative. And I also don't think... In the same way that I don't think that adding better quote-unquote better graphics makes a game better i mean we have lamented many times the remakes of classic games to slap on a code of digits we'll be talking to, about one today actually. yeah yeah to make them look prettier what have you and i've always thought well that's a total waste of time it was better as it was that's great but that doesn't mean that the the opposite is true that just because something has good graphics it's inherently bad like oh my gosh this looks too good it's bad that's just silly i don't think he knows what he's talking about so i disagreed i bet pretty Pretty much disagreed with everything he said to some level. Well, when when was that interview done? When did he say those? Things? It was done on Wednesday. Oh, okay. It, it's being done right now. We still have time <laughs> to interrupt him. Get, get Ken on the phone. Yeah. It was it was posted uh, like a week ago. Okay. Well, yeah. So the reason I say that is is that that may be a reaction to a lot of what you do see today, which is you can slap on too much of a good thing, where you have so many plot lines and characters that it becomes confusing and and players are not having a good time because they're trying to figure out overly complex control schemes or they're trying to chase the MacGuffin, but you, you know, but you're too busy trying to distract them from that with other stuff that never gets finished. And um, so you can't absolutely go too far with that. But I think even modern games uh, like, you know, the, the reason that a lot of the, the reason that the, the recent, Call of Duty games have been so popular is because they're, you know, it's a first person shooter. That formula goes way, way, way back, but the graphics are pretty amazing on any platform and they tell a, a story and they usually do a really good job at it. Mm -hmm. I have a, I have a ton of fun playing those games. The, I, I had a ton of fun playing the fallout series. I'm looking forward to whatever comes next. Like, you know, because the story is so great and whether it's that, that top down, three quarters perspective turn-based thing that they did with the first fallout in, in 1997 or, or fallout three. I, you know, I, this, that those are all about story for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I enjoy the graphics and stuff, but it's, it's about, 
it's about telling a good story and, and letting me get drawn in and, and care about the characters that they're presenting to me, whether it's a movie on the, on the, that I'm watching on a screen or a game that I'm playing. And if you draw me in and tell a good story and stick to the rules of the universe that you set up, I'm easy to entertain. Mm-hmm. So, the only thing I can think is perhaps he was focused strictly on in arcade gaming. Like, because on my mind immediately went to PC and console gaming. And, oh, yeah, mine too. Like, so, it could be that he's really limiting the discussion, just we're not getting it from this poll quote. Because I haven't read the whole article yet because we just got the email. So, it could be that he's talking about in arcade games and that maybe the controls have gotten too complicated and they want to just stretch it out. And he's saying, like, get rid of that and just give me a proper arcade game. And if I'm going to walk up to a game to play at a movie theater or whatever, that just everything else is superfluous. So, and I can, I guess I can kind of see an argument that way. Although I, do, I never think that adding good narrative is inherently a bad thing. I just don't get that it's inherently bad, but I think it could be that both of our minds, which is kind of ironic given that we're classic arcade lovers on a classic arcade podcast. Our immediate <laughs> thought was what about PC games? What about console? But both of us sort of went a different way. So it could be that he's talking arcade games and like well, that's what think, he's focused on but i don't know i don't think arcade gaming is really suited for um you know rpgs and, and long play first person shooters mm-hmm. because you're standing up and you're dumping quarters they don't you know the games are not designed to have you dump a single quarter in and play 20 hours of call of duty right because you know? i just don't i don't according to like what he his argument would be that flappy bird is a better game than any RPG ever made. Well, that's true. Flappy Bird's better than anything ever made. <laughs> You're so wrong. I, I've, I'm going to tap the mic just as if I'm playing I've, a game I've, throughout this I've whole never podcast. even seen that or heard of that game until I saw that it had been pulled from the markets, and I was like, what is this game? Right. This is how out of touch I am with modern gaming. But even, okay, Bethesda Softworks, I think mm-hmm. they're called. Yep, makes, Bethesda. Makes terrible, terrible games from what? a technical standpoint. They come out, and they're just full of bugs. Just... They can't. They cannot write a bug-free game ever. But they're they full never of have narrative that I love. Well, exactly. That's that's the point. For me, the the story is so deep and involving, and it's a world that I can immerse myself in. Whether it's whether it's the Elder Scrolls series or or again Fallout, that I can overlook that stuff because that these other elements are so important to me. Right. All right. We've talked about this enough. Uh, what other feedback have we? Do people, do people write us really? Okay, more stuff about Apple II and console games. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Welcome to the new podcast called All mm. Quarters. Um, so here's one from our, our buddy Matt, friend of the show, Cinecaster. He wrote in to say, uh, I'm a little late in bringing this up, but at the end of the Bad Dude show, when you guys played the customary sound clip hint for the following episode, I could have sworn right at the end of the clip, I heard the Popeye the Sailor Man theme. Oh, he's right. I had the same experience. Yep. Yeah, and he says, that got me thinking, hmm, this is when he thinks to himself, he goes, hmm, hmm, that clip <laughs> is definitely not from the classic Nintendo Popeye arcade game that everybody knows, and besides, that game has already been covered on the show, but maybe Popeye was in another game I've never heard of. See, I, I, I think that he speaks with that kind of accent. I'm I was going to say, him- say, Matt, Matt has, <laughs> an, has an odd dialect. <laughs> that, that slowly moves between <laughs> accents. Totally. That's how he speaks. I'm just telling okay. you. That's how it's done. Right. Um, so when I got to work that morning, I Googled arcade arcade games featuring Popeye and other such terms, I found nothing at that point. Not even the soothing memory of President Ronnie could assuage my <laughs> nagging curiosity. <laughs> Good letter. Uh, when I found out the game was in fact a forsaken turd of shovelcade obscurity <laughs> called Snapchat. Oh, there's a new name for our podcast. <laughs> the forsaken, yes. forsaken turd of shovelcade arcade. <laughs> And after the connection was not mentioned in the episode, I had to go back and listen to the clip again to make sure I wasn't going nuts. Even after doing so, I still think I'm hearing the Popeye theme. <laughs> am I wrong here? Am I, no, am I only thinking I must have a false impression of the melody of the Popeye theme if if I'm the only one pointing this out? Cheers, Matt. Um, I'm sort actually, of inclined, no, I, I agree with him, actually. <laughs> I'm sort of inclined to disagree with him just so that he'll think he's crazy, but no, he's he's right. Yeah, and the thing is, I didn't think that at the time. I only think that now that I've gone back, because of his email, I went back and listened to the clip. I was like, wow, I kind of hear it too. Yeah. yeah, I heard the same thing when I was when I was editing that particular show, and, and I, I caught that. I'm like, wow, that sounds right out of Popeye. But, but no, no, it was not. So you're not sort of layering in other game sounds to mess with our listeners? Why would I do that? I love our listeners. <laughs> I'm going to start doing it. <laughs> It'll be awesome. Of course, you don't love our listeners. Ah, no. That's why I'm awesome. 
All my love is for me. <laughs> so do we have, I think that's all the email I have for us to read. Because uh, we're actually recording this show before we publish our previous show. So yeah, we haven't was- had email on our previous show because it hasn't come out yet. Our recording schedule is getting a little weird. Yeah, I was going to uh, to, to mention that, yeah, there's no... I can say it, but there's no kangaroo talk because it's not posted yet. Oh, you've given away the next, wait, the last show's game. I'm pretty sure that, <laughs> that this podcast will be out after that. I don't uh, know, though. I don't know. You we don't could, know. We, we could, could just drag anything. that out. Oh, and I also think that we should have a new new section just called uh, Forgotten Turds about the worst games that we, we've played. <laughs> Shovelcade Obscurity, which <laughs> itself right. would be a great podcast name, Shovelcade Obscurity. So. Yeah. Someone could just do the crappiest. Actually, some people might argue that we're the ones doing only the crappiest games. <laughs> well, I've, I've heard that. But we that. occasionally do good ones, and, you know, last week was good. So what about, uh, do we have anything else or should we dive into we have the game? A, well, we have a couple of things and oh. then I had um, um, two things that I forgot to mention in the news section that I want to bring up. So Ooh, hit me. You'll sit there and you'll like it. <laughs> I will sit and I will uh, like. Let's see. We've got Dustin Faber uh, wrote in and said, uh, so it turns out that the vertical control panel I have won't accommodate a stick and a trackball. Super bummed, so I'm going to have to go with a track." Trackball buttons on one side and the stick buttons on the other. It's a cocktail. Is this going to mm-hmm. completely? Is this going to look dumb, or are no. there any benefits to having completely different layouts? Carrington, I, I think you go with what feels comfortable and what looks fine. I don't think that'll look dumb at all. Okay. Uh, Vic Sage wrote in and said uh, there are many reasons the Commodore sixty four was just plain awesome. Nope, awesome. Done. You you pronounced awful wrong. I'm done reading that email. <laughs> um, let's see. <laughs> And I think that uh, pretty much brings it to the, well, let's, let's see what we've got. We did have some comments about Kroll. Most of them were, yep, uh, either ne- never seen the movie, good for you, gentlemen. Wrong, bad for you, gentlemen. <laughs> uh, or they were saying, wow, this game is kind of terrible, which hmm, it was all right. I disagree. I like yeah. the game. I like the movie. Everybody else is wrong. I want to talk about myself in the third person. Like Excellent. I'm some sort of famous basketball player. Sure, yeah. Carrington's going to do that from now on. And you need to use the Royal Wii. Carrington is going to use the Royal Wii. <laughs> God. Uh, I have several Raspberry Pis now because <sighs> I bought one and put and stuck it into that Apple II Pi card. And, oh, sure. Right. Yeah, Which is that, now being sold by that new yes, company that's back yes. on the net. Oh, and the I, Apple II. So much better than the Commodore 64. <laughs> that's why we don't read everyone's email. <laughs> and I downloaded uh, a number of... Uh, oh, I downloaded... The, the, the A2 server software is basically you have like a cloud server that serves virtual images to the Apple II. Sweet. Um, yeah. And then I thought, well, I bet I could do some other stuff. And I didn't want to give that up, so I went and bought a couple more. And over on Lifehacker, there's an article about how to turn, basically preload an arcade emulator and a bunch of ROMs onto one of these Raspberry Pis so you can just plug it into whatever monitor and keyboard you happen to be at. Well, that's pretty nice. Yeah. So I like it. We will have a link to the... We will have a link to the... We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Cool. I dig it. I dig it. And I've I been want sp- it. I've been bored lately at work, so I've been digging around in some, some legal archives. And, okay. <laughs> yeah, How yeah. bored you got to be, man. <laughs> pretty darn bored. I've, I've stumbled across the most fascinating... Uh, you know, Atari, Atari Games Corporation versus Ralph Oman, you know, and, um, for, and I guess he sued them over breakout. That'll show them. Right. Uh, there's a lot of these neat, um, I mean, if you, if you really want to sit here and, and, and read legalese, it's kind of fun. I think that should be your next podcast. Mike right. reads legal stuff. <laughs> Very slowly. Dot com. Very much. Carrington thinks you should do that. <laughs> God. <laughs> well, what does Carrington think about this week's game? Carrington thinks it's Professor Pac-Man. And it's a bit of a shoveled turd or whatever that was. <laughs> um, not Aww. awful. We're not talking the Snapjack level here, but this is definitely one of the lower of the Pac's men. Yeah, I was going to say it's not even the worst Pac-Man. I mean, I think um, Pac and Pal is that. Oh, I don't even know Pac and Pal. My goodness. I was, when you said not worst, I agreed, but I didn't think it would go even worse than I thought. <laughs> My goodness. So anyway, this one's 1983, I think. So let's release a, a game right in the, the, the time where arcades go away for a couple of years and put up by Bally Midway. Yes, this is one sort of, of under the, license, kind yes. of, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the games that got uh, Bally sued by Namco for putting stuff out that didn't have 
Uh, that, that wasn't covered under the license. Uh, Are you going to go read about that lawsuit? I am. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, <clears throat> for those who have been listening for a while, uh, in one of our first shows we talked about, well, it wasn't the first one. It was uh, last year, I guess at about this time, we talked about um, Junior Pac-Man and, and the sort of tension between the companies. Valley Midway wanted to do more with the Pac-Man license here in the States because they thought they – had a great opportunity to rake in the cash and they felt time was slipping by because Namco wasn't shipping more titles. So they struck out on their own and made a few games. Word got back to Namco and they ended up in court as part of the settlement. They had to turn over the property and a bunch of other stuff to Namco, but they were allowed to continue making these games. So wow. that's why we have Ms. Pac-Man. And that's why we have great games like Junior Pac-Man and not so great games like mm-hmm. Professor Pac-Man, which ah, I don't... Yes. So I don't know how it is there in, in the in the frozen wastelands of the north. <laughs> it's awesome. The great white north with Bob and Doug McKenzie. Walking They're awesome. There. Yes. Uh, but here in the States, back in the, I guess maybe the late 90s or so. We had the 90s here in Canada too. You did. But we didn't have them until like 2003. My goodness. I didn't know you had that technology up there. <laughs> yeah. um, back in the late 90s, there was a fad that started up in the bars around uh, America, the trivia game. And these were, you would go to the bar with a bunch of your friends and drink, and they had these little tabletop. Um, some of them had handheld controllers and, and the CRT monitors above the bar would, would, uh, would show you, would show the question and you would hit buttons on your controller and that would uh, give you get points based on how quickly you answered and how many correct um answers you had as a whole. And it got very popular so much so that there were teams of, of these people that played it. The bar, part of the appeal of the bar trivia um, fad was that these systems linked to other bars. So you could see how your team was doing against, you know, teams across, uh, across America. Um, and one of the, one of the implementations, I guess if you want to call it that was sort of a, a bar top arcade it's like a bar. Well, it's like the short little bar top arcade cabinets, but it had the trivia stuff. Oh, cool! And that's kind of what this is, but it's with the Pac-Man IP sort of <laughs> just slapped, slapped on, on it. it for absolutely. They no just painted reason. Pac-Man on it for no reason. No reason whatsoever. So it's yeah. not. It's not truly a terrible game. I mean, it functions as a trivia game, but it's not really a Pac-Man game, right? If you're into trivia games, it's probably pretty fun. But yeah, this is has nothing at all to do with Pac-Man. The Pac-Man character appears in the game as sort of your as your your ringmaster, your game master, whatever, who presents the questions and and cheers you when you do well and mocks you when you when you answer incorrectly. So Carrington has this to say <laughs> about Pac-Man. Oh boy. <laughs> um, the thing is, there's there's two Pac people in this. There's the actual Professor Pac-Man, and he's the guy with the. Uh, Look at all those flatheads, mortar board. So he's got a mortar board on because he's like continually graduating. Every day is graduation day for him. <laughs> and then there's also the timer, which is a Pac-Man gobbling a bunch of dots along the top. So every time a question comes up, you've got so much time to answer the questions. We'll, we'll deal with all the mechanics in a little bit. But across the top is another Pac-Man, just the normal Pac-Man head without the mortar board. He hasn't graduated or whatever, or isn't graduated <laughs> today anyway. And it's gobbling up from, from left to right. And the pallets that are left, there's basically, you can get up to 900 points if you answer instantaneously down to zero. That's your timer. And so there's a few weird things about that Pac-Man that I thought we should just pause for a second and bring up. The first is he comes on screen at the beginning and sort of get introduced, walks from right to left, and literally walks. It's a Pac-Man head, but he's got these skinny little arms and legs, and he does this little walking strut, and he's got big white gloves almost like Mickey Mouse tiny gloves, and blue boots. And he walks over to the left, reaches up, pulls off his own head, and puts it on the ground, and then his <laughs> arms and legs disappear, and now he's just a normal Pac-Head. And that is one of the weirdest things I have seen in a Pac-Man game. I'm like, what the heck is this? I mean, they take this thing, you can kind of tell they're just messing around with something that's barely licensed, because I really can't see you doing this normally with a licensed character. It's like, we're just going to add on the arms and legs, kind of, so it kind of looks like it did on, on the sides of the original Pac-Man cabinet, just without the big nose. And they have him walk over, and then he yanks off his own head, puts it on the ground. It's like, what the heck is this? Um, it also then eventually occurred to me that as far as I can tell, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, or somebody else will write in if I'm wrong, 
this would be the only Pac-Man game where you get points for the dots you haven't eaten. Am I right? I don't know. Yeah, because normally a Pac-Man game has dots being eaten and you're, you're gobbling up and getting more points the more you eat. Here, it's a timer. So the fewer points you eat, or the fewer dots you eat, the higher your score. So your, your score is inverse to your, your dot eating. So anyway, that's what I have to say about the timer. It's weird. And he rips his own head off. Sure. <laughs> that's what Carrington has to say about that. Now, interestingly, they're, they're not all... The questions are not all trivia necessarily they're mostly not-, not trivia and i think that's the reason this game stunk and and died because it's not trivia based yeah they're not asking you who starred in saint elmo's fire it's you'll get you'll they'll show you a pair of glasses and then who wore these glasses in saint elmo's <laughs> well, fire? exactly now, you'll, you'll first be- of all rob lowe demi moore emilio estevez judd nelson andrew mccarthy and uh ali sheedy and oh god uh oh yeah the one that didn't do um mayor or something mayor winningham mayor, there you go Ding. yeah who does a movie review podcast every week too baby <laughs> this guy with the thumbs named carrington said course, carrington <laughs> of course you you would have run out of time on, on this game oh right? this is true yeah you don't get a lot of time to answer these questions so, but you get it's a lot of visual puzzles you know you get those glasses mm-hmm. and then you'll be shown three other pairs of glasses that are sort of the same and and you have to pick the one that's the mirror image before time runs out or You'll be given an image of, of like um, cow is to milk as chicken is to, and then you have to pick. And it's obviously, you know, obviously it's the egg and that's easy to, to guess. Oh, but egg. <laughs> that's what I was it is. thinking but, chicken milk. <laughs> right. But, you know, you, the, the counter is pretty quick and yeah, it's not really a trivia game. No. And I think that that's one of the issues because I think like guys, I'm going to say guys, Drunk people, and we'll talk later about how the mm. control panel is actually kind of well-designed for drunk use, because that's the goal here. Uh-huh. But you're at a bar, you go, and you want to like show off that you know who threw the most passes in the touchdown game of sport things or whatever. He said, that's what I don't know about. <laughs> Movies, I'm good on sports. Eh, I've heard of them. Um, and here instead, it's logic problems and and uh you know visual acuity problems and 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 i don't think that goes well with a drunken audience and i don't think it goes well with the kind of people who want to play bar games it certainly didn't go well with me no how drunk were I, you though I wasn't like drunk normal drunk I, or even more normal well, I, I just, just walking around drunk you know? okay there was one question that i ran into several times where you were given you were given four different items and it's one of those pick the item that doesn't belong, but the buttons weren't really lined up under directly under the item. So it, you couldn't, I couldn't tell anyway, which button I was supposed to be hitting. I'm like, Oh, it's, it's obviously the violin, you know, but I couldn't, I'm like, Hey, Nope. Uh, it wouldn't tell me you picked the wrong one and this is what you picked. So I could match. Okay. This button is pointing at that. He right. said, Nope, you're wrong. Try again. Okay, we should talk about that. So the, the, the questions come up. You're given, uh, at the very beginning, I think you start with 10 seconds to answer the question. Mm-hmm. And then you can eventually get into higher and higher levels where you get different fruit things when you answer bonus questions. And it'll drop down to, I think, three seconds. Like, it gets down to crazy fast answers. Ridiculous. Yeah, that's how they, that's how they work the IP into this, into this game that has nothing to do with Pac-Man. By, you, you get points or you, you get bonus time and, and things like that. And, and that's awarded to you as, as the, the prizes that you would normally see because you can't gobble pellets or anything other than the ones that are being eaten across the top as part of the timer. So By the again, headless horseman of Pac-Man. Again, a very, a very, this is like a wrong color of paint slapped on it or something. Yeah, it's totally. Just, so you're like, you start off at cherries and go to strawberries right. and peaches, et cetera. Terrible. Yeah. So you get your 10 seconds at the beginning to answer the question and you've got the three buttons. So, and there's always going to be three potential answers. So you have, if you're guessing, you have a one third chance. So if you, if you get it right, then you get the points for the pellets that have not been gobbled up yet. If you're wrong, you can guess a second time on the same question. And so the timer keeps going. Now, if you guess wrong the first time, you don't have to guess a second time. You can just let the timer wear out and there's no penalty. You're just not going to get any points, but you're, you're not going to lose a life either. If you guess the second time, you're now down to a 50% chance of getting it right. Um, and if you get it right, then you know, you're going to get the points. But if you get it wrong on a second guess, then you do lose a second life. You can lose up to second two fruits, basically, on one question if you guess wrong two times. So don't do that, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Mike. And that... 
And oh, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> Carrington please. says don't do that. Uh, the game boasts that there are over 500 animated questions. I never got anywhere near that. Exactly. And I read online in a few places, everyone would talk about how there's actually 99 questions and they would repeat. But the, the graphics and the manual and a whole bunch of things seem to say that there's actually 500 questions. Hmm. So I think there probably actually is the 500. I don't know. They didn't repeat for me. And I played quite a bit. Although they do kind of repeat because you get so many of almost the same question. Which, you know, so you, you think, oh, I've seen this one. I remember the answer is A, and now the answer is B. And it's not because they move the answers around. It's just because it'll show you like a cityscape and it'll have three buildings. And the first building will be like a, a shoe store. The middle one is a department store or something. And the, and the one on the right is an arcade or it'll shoe store pharmacy arcade. And then the question might be like, where would you buy bobby pins? But then the next time the question might be, which building had the most windows? Right. And so you can see the same setup, but get different questions and so it makes it like i'll, I'll see a question and then i'll think oh it's going to ask me this and i won't pay attention to the number of windows or something like that I'm like oh, darn. <laughs> so yeah i got burned a bunch of times assuming what the question would be yeah there there i think there are a limited number of you know categories so you've got mm. the the this is a is to b as c is to whatever or which one of the th- these things doesn't belong or which one is the mirror and know, one image. of those i got i honestly didn't know it showed me three things where i'm like there's no relation between them. It's like, which one of these doesn't belong? And it was like a chicken, an orange and a rocket ship. Yep. It's like, uh, uh, like what, what? I don't know. What's, what's the thing? Chickens go to Mars and they, <laughs> and they have citrus deficiencies. I have no idea which is the one of those three things that does like, what are the two that are supposed to go together? It was something really weird where it's like, I, I, I don't know. I honestly don't know the answer. Morning, kids. It's a Pac-Man day with my crispy corn cereal coming your way. It's Pac-Man. With marshmallows. Delicious. I'm Inky. I'm Blinky. I'm Pinky. I'm Clyde. We're the marshmallows you'll find inside of Pac-Man. Wow, he's chomping the Pac-Puffs. What? And Blinky, too. He's Marshmallow. You can chomp him, too. In Pac-Man. Part of this nutritious breakfast. It's Pac-Man. With marshmallows. Delicious. I found the game to be, it took me a while to sort of get comfortable playing it because there's so much going on visually on the screen that it kind of is, it's distracting and it can be confusing. And uh, I had to play it a bunch just to sort of figure out, okay, this is the part of the screen that I need to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. And the other stuff I don't because Pac-Man's up in the corner making, he's moving around. And, you kind of ignore the whole top third of the screen really. Right. Yeah. And the music in this game, it's. It, I like it. it it, I, I thought it was okay, but it wasn't Pac-Man. It wasn't Pac-Man's sound effects. It wasn't the music. There's nothing from the original game. It didn't sound like it came from the original game. I think Again, the music was done by Mark Cantor. Now he, or he might've been the developer or one of the developers in the whole game. Hmm. But since he did a lot of music stuff, I'm sort of guessing he did the music here, but I couldn't find a definitive answer about that. So he's the guy we've talked to him about him before that. And he did some things with uh, Jamie Fenton, who's, at the time was called Jay Fenton and she's the one who designed Gorf and then led the team that did the Bally Astrocade and stuff. Well, Mark Cantor worked for like a year or so at, uh, at um, Bally Midway and did, I think sounds mostly, but he went on to found the company Macromind, um, which then became Macromedia. And he was like one of the developers of Macromedia director. And so did all, it became a big Mac developer and sort of led all of that stuff that then led into flash and led into all the, like all of that came from him. And and it seems like this is one of the arcade games he was partly responsible for this thing, (laughs) this thing. So he had better days ahead of him. (laughs) Valley had originally planned to release three different versions of the quiz game, the family version for young players, the public version to be put into bars and the prizes, which you were going to go into casinos, they plan to release various software revisions. Um, it looks like quarterly to keep the keep the questions fresh, so people couldn't just memorize them. But the game was almost immediately a flop. Uh, most operators only <laughs> this this. I'm reading from this article on StrategyWiki.org that says most operators only had it hanging around for as long as it took to get it shipped back to the distributor. Only 400 cabinets were ever made. They were all the public variety. 300 were shipped back. Um, wow. Then, so two, three quarters of them went, were shipped back. And converted to Pac-Land cabinets the following year. Oh, that kind of makes sense. I've seen a few Pac-Land cabinets that had Professor Pac-Man elements to them. Like they'd still have a bit of art on them. So I guess that explains that. Okay. 
So only 400 of them. That's so crazy. So if you compare that against, say, Miss Pac-Man, where they did like 110 or 120,000 cabinets. And this one, there were 400, and 300 of them were immediately sent back. <laughs> wow. Okay. The Bally Astrocade platform used a Zilog Z80 microprocessor and two banks of 500, 512K ROM, uh, which was apparently more than any other arcade game at that time. Um, the game, as you said, was written by Rick Frankel. Graphics were created by Mark Stephen Pierce and Sue Forner. And the sounds and music were by Mark Cantor. Ah, so it was sound. Okay, I knew he had something to do with it, so it kind of makes sense it would be the sound. Mark Cantor, uh, Mark Pierce, and Jay Fenton started uh, Macromine, which you ah, already see? mentioned. Who knows so, his trivia, baby? That should have been uh, a question in this. <laughs> which company in the future will be found after this game is a flop? Well, and Macromind became Macromedia. Right. Which became, which was the company that, before they, they bought Flash, they were making, um, they were making video DRM. They were the company that put the, tried to put that signal in VHS tapes to keep people from copying it. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Macrovision. So, that's it. I have stripped that from many a time. <laughs> it was easily done. <laughs> yep. Could keep me out, Mark. <laughs> nice try. The original idea for Professor Pac-Man came from two well-known industry fingers. <clears throat> well, fingers. <laughs> I think they were very well-known industry <laughs> fingers. There was left index and right go to heck. Pinky. <laughs> uh, came from two well-known industry figures, uh, world champion foosball player Johnny Lott. Come on. Ed Adlam, the publisher of Replay. Okay. They approached Bally Midway with the idea only to find out that they only to learn that Bally was not interested. Oh. A few months later, Lot, while working the National AMOA trade show in Chicago, noticed several Professor Pac-Man on display. He threatened legal action. He was action. like, hey, what's up, dude? <laughs> he threatened legal action, and Bally agreed to pay a royalty contract. And if they paid him a royalty anyway, they wouldn't have paid them much, because they only had 100 games <laughs> in the end out there. So big right. deal. Um, and of course, because this is one of the infamous non, non-licensed games that Bally put out, there are many, many, many articles out there on the web uh, that cover this and the other illegal uh, titles. Um, IGN Retro has a good one called Off-Brand Pac-Man. Oh, I, I read that one. Yeah, yeah. it talks about baby Pac-Man. And, yep. Strategy and, Wiki, the one that I was just reading from, has some good information as well. Cool. Uh, it's Karen's, funny about the Namco thing, though, because like, I know they, they sued them or whatever and severed the Pac relationship. But then, like... Going forward, they seem to have had no problems themselves putting these pack characters into like the most awful cash grabbing titles. I mean, like Ms. Pac-Man Quest for the Golden Maze. Come on. It's like a total piece of crap. So Namco might have been upset that Bally Midway was, you know, doing this stuff with the with the intellectual property. But then they went on to do just as bad things themselves. So oh. there. <laughs> I'm Carrington and so says Carrington. That's right. Well, you know, as we mentioned, Bally was eager for more Pac-Man titles, and apparently Namco just couldn't think of anything, and that's why this stuff came out. Good. I could think of better stuff than this one, though. Uh, yeah. This should have been a trivia game instead of a, a you know, take an IQ test at a bar game. Yeah, I, I, don't under, I don't understand why they thought this would be a good idea. Yeah. But. So, Carrington, tell me about the cabinets. It's yellow. It's oh so <laughs> yellow. So, um... The sides and the lower front part are the bright Pac-Man yellow. It's got big triangular side art um, with the Professor Pac looking all professory with his motorboat on it. And the marquee is black, lights up. It's got the Professor Pac-Man logo and it's spelled out in the typical, you know, Pac, that, that Pac-Man font. So it's using that. So it's very much a Pac-Man looking game from the outside, at least. And the marquee has the image of the professor pac-man along with with a ghost and then down below the control panel this is one of the cabinets that has a a light up panel below the control panel as well so not just the marquee lights up so that's kind of cool and the the few ones that were left out there and so that image shows the professor teaching a class where another normal pac-man is raising his hand to answer he must be the one who rips his own head off to become a timer and then there's two ghosts that are clueless other students um, so it's kind of setting up what, what this is 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 professor pac-man is supposed to be teaching and that's i guess the the scene the narrative narrative makes all games worse <laughs> the narrative here. so the big thing is of course the control panel it's not a joystick game and, and being a barcade it's got what i would call play well drinking design <laughs> so it's got these 
big buttons, not normal size buttons, very, very large buttons that light up. So it takes very little dexterity to, needed to play the game in real life. And there's six buttons total, three for the player on the left, three for the player on the right. So you don't even, even though you play alternatively, you can both stand at the machine drunkenly, I guess, holding on. So they did kind of think through that. I think the industrial design of the game is well suited for something that was supposed to sit in the bar. It's, I think the game play itself, particularly the fact that it's not trivia is what let it down. So your big buttons labeled A, B, and C. Um, as far as I know, only a full-size standard upright cabinet, the only the first ones, that's all that was made. So unlike most of these games like you talked about, there's a lot of bar top, there's still net to, to this day, a lot of small bar top trivia games that exist, but this didn't come out in that format. It was only the big stand-up, take a lot of room format, which probably hurt it as well, makes it expensive and take up a lot of room and such, rather than sitting on the end of a bar. Um, like you said, they made 400 of them, 300 of them came back, that's just crazy. And cost-wise, well, let's talk about rarity. So it's Klov gives it a four out of 100 on both ownership and desirability. And that's a pretty odd combo because <laughs> for ownership, 100 is the most common one is the most rare. So four is incredibly rare for desirability. 100 is the most wanted and one is the least wanted. So four is incredibly not wanted. So it is both something that nobody has it and nobody wants it. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked about other games like that, that, you know, just because it's rare doesn't mean you're going to pay a lot of money for it or right. that anyone else wants it. Exactly. This one does seem to, however, command a big price. I don't know why. I've seen it online. The last one I saw actually change hands seemed to be $2,600. A few places, I found one place online that has it right now. They're saying, you know, contact us if you, if you want to like basically to ask us the price you have to inquire. I actually sent them email to ask and they came back and they said they're currently asking 6250, but it's negotiable. So they're looking for over $6,000 for this thing. That's crazy talk. Um, even parts and things like original parts online go for quite a bit. I don't see how this is even remotely worth that kind of money, but I guess since it's a, an official, Pac-Man game from back in the day and there was actually only a hundred out there left to start with and they've no doubt been whittled down a lot since then if you're only looking at 20 or so still existing I guess that's the kind of money you pay but I think that's just crazy so very well, expensive very yellow some of that interest might come not from the game itself but the story behind it and the fact that it was so bad right it's not officially licensed, so why not just knock one off yourself? I can make a well, non-officially licensed one, too. Well, a lot of these were turned into pack lands, so, and I don't know how common that is. To oh, yeah, because you just get one of those and turn it back. Yeah, I was going to say, if nothing else, maybe you could try to hunt one of those down and, and sort of deconvert it. Nothing else? Like, that's the only thing I get to do? Carrington is disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I like this whole third-person thing. I'm not so crazy <laughs> about it. I'm going to keep this up. Mm, please don't. <laughs> So anyway, we cost a lot of money to get one of these things. I'm not going to buy one. <laughs> no, what, what, there's some things we haven't talked about that I kind of like about this. I read the manual to see like what the settings were and if there was any trivia in there. And there wasn't that much. But I did like the fact that the attract mode, like at the beginning, the, when people haven't put money in, they say that it plays shill sounds. <laughs> Which I thought was like, what are you, a carny operator? <laughs> so I thought it was kind of funny that in the manual, that's what they refer to the noises made during the attract mode. It's shill sounds, and you can turn them on or not on. And I like that very much. I did notice, and I don't know if this is a problem with the graphics overcoming the processor while music was playing, but at the end when the game is over, Pac-Man, for some reason, is standing on this dark, silhouette creepy hill with a creepy haunted house at the top right. with the, the moon in the background. And he's just standing there frozen while the music is playing. As soon as it stops, then the screen, the animation kicks in and he moves around. I found it a bit flaky. Yeah. I had a lot of graphic glitches. Yeah. Um, came up quite a bit. The The version of the ROM I'm using anyway was pretty flakily implemented. It sounded okay. Like the sound was good, but it didn't seem to always be cued exactly to what was going on. There was often graphics that, that would glitch a bit. Um, so in MAME anyway, it's a bit of a flaky experience at the moment. Yeah. I can't imagine that this, this was much fun to play, especially when you're sort of drunk and, and the brain isn't working quite as quickly as it normally would. And you're trying to figure out what the heck this thing is. Maybe I should have been drunk. Maybe you should. Maybe that explains why my score was so bad. I was going to say, is it, would it have improved your score? Probably. I'm going to say probably yes. Okay. My pro another problem I had is you don't, it's hard to tell what your score is. Like when you, once you die, it doesn't come back and tell you what your score was. At least not in the main version I had. It's just like, okay, you're dead. Like, uh, 
how to do dude (laughs) so i ended up having to take screenshots as i went because i would so i would have as i answered questions correctly i would be able to take a screenshot but then once i finally died it was just done just gone did that, that happen to you yeah, there's no high score list to show, you know, how well you did against other people. It doesn't even show you your own score. So yeah. at least not um, in the main version I was using. I had the yeah. exact same problem. Well, then again, maybe it was just that you and I did so poorly that the game felt that we didn't even rate seeing the scores. Could be. You know? <laughs> the professor was too disappointed. <laughs> That's right. Get out. Yeah. So, um, uh, and the, what I think is the best couple of games I had, I, it was still that early on and I wasn't keeping track of my score. So I've got scores, um, from the, the, Question I answered correctly right before the last question. You don't get any points when you get something wrong, so this should be my last one. But according to my my screenshots, it seems that I got to 22 questions. I would have got question 23 incorrect, so I got 22 questions right as a as a string um, in my best game, and that gave me a score of 12,235. Okay, uh, I got to the 28th question. Boo! Yep, yep. And I got uh, uh, 26,000. Holy 800, cow. 850. So. You got way more than me, only with a few more questions. So you're answering way quicker than I am. I think so. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, that's the thing is you can get up to 900 points a question, but you get double points for the bonus questions. We didn't really talk about those, but for bonus questions, it's, it's, it's weirdly set up. And I had to read the manual to find like, when did these bonus questions come up? Because they seem to be like at random. And how it works is there's settings in for dip switches so you can change it. But by default, you get a bonus question after you've answered three questions correctly. And then that moves you up to the next level. So your, your questions. So if you do three in a row with no wrong answers and a second player doesn't answer a question right in between you, then you'll go up, you'll get a bonus question that can be worth double points. If you get it right, you don't lose a fruit if you get it wrong. So I like that about the bonus questions. And then after you get 30 questions, you will not get any bonus questions until you answer five in a row correctly. And then after you hit 60 questions total, you have to do seven in a row quickly. So that's why it's such a complicated setup. That's why I can never sort of get my head around. When do these bonus questions come up? Because they seem to be kind of <laughs> random, but it's after you get some number in a row with no wrong answers. And that number is determined by how many lots of 30 questions you've gone through. And also how many, what level you're on according to the little fruit things you get. So, yeah, not Weird. much. Not much about this game really worked. No. no, I think the main thing is it should have been a trivia game. I think that could have been a big difference if it was an actual like a sports trivia game, Professor Sportsman or something. Oh well, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and there was no reason to slap the the Pac Man IP on this. No, I agree. Didn't make a lot of sense. So, uh, you know, I mean, if you're going to have sports trivia, get John Madden's image or or something appropriate. Pac Madden. <laughs> there you go. Uh, anyway, the thing is, it's not an awful game. It's just, it's honestly, it's, it's not a great game. It doesn't really fit into anything. No. So. We, we've played worse, but holy cow, Much we've played worse. a lot better. Yeah, we have, we have. Yeah. Maybe next week's will be better too. I hope so, Mike. <laughs> what is next week's? Here's what it sounds like. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Yes. Carrington says thank you. Bye. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent by email to noquarter at monsterfeet.com or you can find us on Facebook as No Quarter Podcast and on Twitter we are at No Quarter Show. All of those links plus the show notes are available at monsterfeet.com and like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain.